It is a crime to defraud the government in any deceptive way, and that's exactly what they did here. Yes, it is, isn't it, Mr. Woodward? I agree. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE, and we're all drawing out today. Up in Oregon, where they're also drying out, I hope, on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, and Rochester, New York's WRFZ. They are not drying out today. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. And yes, we stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, not to mention your favorite podcast sites, except for tune in lately i don't know what's going on there listen with a different podcast service until they fix it of course if you're hearing this you're probably already using a different (laughs) podcast service anyway (laughs) uh blanketing planet earth five days a week i'm brad friedman your friendly investigative blogger journalist troublemaker muckraker and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com along with the delightful giggle of desiree doyan there hi des here we will get to what you heard there at the top uh, with Bob Woodward referencing um, in our open quote the uh, so-called, what he describes as a so-called lay-down case of conspiracy to defraud the U.S. that could be brought against Donald Trump and his fellow January 6 conspirators. We'll talk about that with an attorney who can explain it all for us uh, momentarily. But I want to quickly pick up on a few points related to our conversation on yesterday's show with the mayor of Imperial Beach, California, who is suing ExxonMobil and a bunch of other big oil outfits for their fraud regarding climate change and the never ending sausage making that is still going on in Congress regarding Joe Biden's Build Back Better agenda and how it was hoped to help meet that agenda, hoped to help meet his pledge to cut greenhouse gas emissions in half by 2030 and to reach net zero economy-wide across the U.S. by 2050. Uh, So uh, first, uh, some good-ish related news. A majority of Americans now, finally, 
regard the deteriorating climate as a problem of high importance to them. That's an increase from just a few years ago. About six out of ten Americans also believe that the pace of global warming is speeding up. According to the new survey from the AP and NORC Center for Public Affairs Research and the Energy Policy Institute at the University of Chicago. You see why this is good-ish news. (laughs) Good that Americans are finally getting it. Bad, however, that it has taken this long and has caused so much death and damage and destruction to get here. As Biden struggles to pass significant climate legislation at home ahead of next week's U.N. climate summit, the new poll also shows that 55 percent of Americans want Congress to pass a bill to ensure that more of the nation's electricity comes from clean energy and less from climate damaging coal and natural gas. Only 16 percent of Americans oppose such a measure for electricity from cleaner energy. And that's across the board, by the way, Democrats, Republicans, everyone else. A similar measure initially was uh, to do exactly that was one of the most important parts of climate legislation that Biden had before Congress. But his proposal to reward utilities with clean energy sources and penalize those without, well, that ran into objections from Trigger warning, coal state senator, Democrat Joe Manchin of West Virginia, leaving fellow Democrats scrambling to come up with other ways to slash pollution from burning fossil fuels. Thanks, Joe Manchin. And we will talk about those other ways uh, in a moment. Uh, Let's stick to the good-ish news for now. (laughs) Uh, In all, 59% of Americans say the Earth's warming is very or extremely important to them as an issue. That's up from 49 percent in 2018. So 59 percent now, 49 percent three years ago. So finally a majority and up some 10 points from three years ago. I think this uh, this this shores up previous studies that have said if you talk about it, if the media covers it and if politicians talk about it, then the public understands that this is an issue. Those are all directly related inputs to the public's understanding of the gravity of the situation. So the more we talk about climate change, the more you talk about it with family and friends, the more people understand what's actually happening and what we need to do about it. Yes. Also, the more your house burns down and (laughs) floods also uh, helps you be concerned about it, I suspect. Seventy five percent of Americans believe that climate change is happening, while 10 percent believe that it is not. The poll found another 15 percent just aren't sure (laughs) among those who say it is happening. 54% say it's caused mostly or entirely by human activities compared to just 14% who think incorrectly, according to scientists, that it's caused mainly by natural changes in the environment that no one else can seem to actually identify. And just to be clear, as uh, many climate scientists have said, including Dr. Michael Mann of Penn State University on this very program, humanity is responsible for more than 100% of the warming since 1950. So it has taken years, and as I said, a whole lot of death and destruction, and as of later today, 1,179 Green News reports. (laughs) But finally, people are getting it, I think. 
doing something about it may be a different matter. While Democrats are more likely than Republicans to say that climate change is happening, majorities now of both parties agree that it is happening. 89% of Democrats, 57% of Republicans, which is somewhat anemic there from Republicans. And again, that question was only about simply whether it is happening at all. But hey, at least it's now a majority from GOP voters. So I will take it. Okay, now, trigger warning again. I'm about to go into more detail on the corrupt Joe Manchin and his new attempt. Yes, new attempt to undermine action on climate change. And yes, it is maddening. Uh, yesterday, Desiree broke down how even with the removal of the Clean Electricity Performance Program from the Build Back Better bill, that uh, Clean Electricity Performance Program would have paid big bucks to utility companies to move to clean energy and penalize those that did not. Uh, the removal of that critical program uh, at Joe Manchin's insistence, uh, well, that could mean trouble for Joe Biden's climate pledges. But Desi broke down that we could still get to a 50 percent reduction in emissions by 2030 and net zero by 2050 with the remaining climate change provisions in the Build Back Better Act. But I think it's fair to say, you noted, Des, it would be really hard and it would require all hands on deck, but that it was possible, correct? Yes, it is still within the realm of possibility. Well, it was as of yesterday. Mm. Whether it is now, I don't know. It may be a, about to get much harder to uh, to meet those goals, according to the New York Times last night. Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia has pushed Democrats to drop or weaken a second major climate provision from the sweeping social policy and environmental spending bill that the White House hopes to finalize this week. That, according to two people familiar with the matter, Manchin, who the Times misleadingly describes as a centrist Democrat from one of the country's top coal and gas producing states, instead of an obstructionist Democrat or better yet, a corrupt Democrat from one of the country's top coal and gas producing states. Anyway, Manchin wants to remove or modify a provision that would impose a fee on emissions of methane, a powerful planet warming pollutant that leaks from oil and gas wells. Now, why is that an important provision Desi Doyen. Because methane is an extremely potent greenhouse gas, more potent than than carbon dioxide on shorter timescales, like 80 times more potent at warming the earth, trapping the sun's heat than carbon dioxide. And when you say on shorter timescales, you mean... Like 20 years. Yeah, it, well, it's, it's, it's more potent. It keeps more warmth in the atmosphere, but unlike carbon dioxide, it dissipates in about 20 years. Carbon right. dioxide st sticks around for hundreds, hundreds of years. years. Yeah. yeah, so that's why it's cumulative, right. especially for carbon emissions. And that's why cutting methane, methane would be so important because that, if we cut methane, that would be the fastest, most cost-effective way of slowing warming in the immediate term. It would give us immediate benefits and buy us some time as we work to lower our carbon emissions. And that methane, by the way, you know, unlike burning fossil fuels for energy, we're talking about methane that is simply leaking 
from these uh, from these mines and exactly. And, and this is from oil and gas operations. Yeah. It's from the drilling process. It's, it's not from, giving us it. We're not even getting energy out of it. We're losing. We're from losing it. it, and taxpayers, when it's withdrawn from, extracted from public yeah. lands, taxpayers lose royalties on it as well because it's all these leaks and flaring out in the fields. When you can see these gigantic flares out in the middle of West Texas that light mm-hmm. up the night, yeah. all of that has an impact. And now West Virginia has become kind of a new sacrifice zone for the natural gas industry. They're really pushing to start fracking and building more pipelines in West Virginia. Now, analysts, as you noted yesterday, Des, uh, according to The Times, have found it would be technically possible, although difficult, for the U.S. to meet Biden's emissions goals without passing the clean electricity legislation that Manchin opposes. But the broader spending package still includes about $300 billion in tax credits for wind and solar energy. Analysts say that could get the U.S. about halfway to Biden's target. But removing the methane fee legislation could further weaken his case in Glasgow, Scotland, where he's uh, heading next week for this critical U.N. climate conference in which he had hoped to make the case to the world that they need to do the same as the U.S., But hey, if the U.S. can't even do it, well, why should they? A spokesman for the senator who is writing the methane fee legislation says it has not yet been excised from the bill. Rachel uh, Levitin, spokesman for uh, spokesperson for Senator Tom Carper of Delaware, uh, said the methane fee is not out of the package. Chairman Carper is working to get robust climate provisions in the reconciliation bill and is in active negotiations to ensure that the bill meaningfully reduces greenhouse gas emissions. I fear the definition of meaningfully may end up becoming somewhat uh, debatable, but I hope I'm wrong about that. Another person familiar with the matter says Manchin appeared open to negotiating the details of Mm. the methane fee to make it easier and cheaper For natural gas companies to comply, but frankly, sounds like cheaper for them not to comply, frankly, as I read that. Again, hope I'm wrong. Uh, While Senator uh, while Senate Democratic leaders have pledged that the broader budget legislation will be completed this week, people familiar with the process said it was more likely that Democrats would agree to a broad brush framework before Biden travels to uh, Glasgow next week and and that he would have to make the case to the world that lawmakers would indeed soon pass a bill. Yeah, whatever's in it. I don't know. We mean it. We will. Now, by the way, there is other stuff that Manchin is screwing up in this bill as well. According to The Hill yesterday, he is shutting down uh, one of Bernie Sanders' biggest priorities to expand Medicare. Manchin warned that would undermine the solvency of the broader Medicare program. Sanders insisted in a tweet over the weekend that his proposal to expand Medicare to cover dental, hearing and vision must be included in the uh, in the package. Even if it is likely to come in well below the initial three point five trillion dollar price tag that he had hoped Uh, Manchin on Monday, however, threw cold water. On Sanders' push to expand Medicare, according to The Hill, warning the program faces insolvency in 2026. Manchin said, my big concern right now is the 2026 deadline for Medicare insolvency. 
Medicare and Social Security is a lifetime, is a, is a lifeline for people back in West Virginia, Manchin warned, apparently ignoring all of the things that were in this bill that the people back in West Virginia really, really want, but that Joe Manchin has already cut out of the bill. He added, you got to stabilize that first, the Medicare insolvency issue, before you look at at basically expansion, he said. So if we're not being fiscally responsible, that's a concern. Uh, that, of course, is going to be a problem with Sanders. His vote, by the way, is also essential to getting this uh, reconciliation bill passed. And along with it, the bipartisan uh, uh, bill uh, that was negotiated in the uh, in, in the Senate with Joe Manchin for infrastructure, hard infrastructure bill. Um, Sanders said over the weekend, the expansion of Medicare to cover dental, hearing and vision is one of the most popular and important provisions in the entire reconciliation bill. It's what the American people want. It is not coming out, he insisted. Well, we will see. Manchin's fellow obstructionist Senator Kirsten Sinema of Arizona said she's OK with the uh, expansion of the hearing uh, provision, but not dental <laughs> for some reason, because I guess it's OK that old people in her state lose their teeth and can't chew their food. But, you know, they need hearing aids. <laughs> Uh, of course, if Joe Manchin was really concerned about the solvency of Medicare, he could simply propose spending whatever is needed to make it solvent. But he's not offering solutions. He's just cutting popular provisions that Democrats, Republicans and, yes, the people of West Virginia really, really want. And I'm not sure that they will get that framework that they're hoping for by the end of this week. But it sure would be nice if they did. Because the American people need it, and frankly, democracy needs it for several different reasons. You know, for one, to move on to the Freedom to Vote Act and to save the Democratic Party from a GOP takeover in 2022 and a stolen presidential election because of it thereafter in 2024. But, you know, while Medicare can be expanded another day, if we must... We are running out of time on climate, if we haven't already. So that is the stuff that really concerns me today. We will have uh, more evidence to uh, buttress that case in our uh, Green News report later this hour. Yes, trigger warning for that as well <laughs> as usual. But while wrestling with all of this, Congress is still, thankfully, still looking back, so to speak, at the previous administration and its unprecedented criminal attempt to steal the 2020 election, including with an attack on the U.S. Capitol. Some new-ish news on that and potential charges of conspiracy to defraud the United States of America by the president of the United States of America. That is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. My thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi Doyen and I stay on your public airwaves. You're the only one that keeps us here. Thank you. Yes, 
we will. And specifically, so will the January 6th committee in the U.S. House, at least I hope. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The White House on Monday rejected still more claims of executive privilege from the disgraced twice impeached former president, uh, that would be President Trump, over documents requested by the U.S. House Select Committee, which appears to be vigorously investigating the Trump-incited January 6th assault on the U.S. Capitol. For the second time within the past several weeks, the Biden administration is once again directing the National Archives to turn over another tranche of Trump-era documents to the committee as per their request, once again rejecting the former president's claims of executive privilege to block the release of those documents regarding the January 6th attack and Trump's attempt to steal the 2020 election. In a letter on Monday, White House Counsel Dana Remus wrote that Biden consulted with the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel and determined that the former president's privilege assertion, quote, is not justified. Remus wrote in the letter to the National Archivist on Monday that, quote, President Biden has determined that an assertion of executive privilege is not in the best interests of the United States and therefore is not justified as to the documents provided to the White House on September 16, 2021 and September 23, 2021, indicating that Trump has made two more such assertions to the White House, both of which have now been rejected by White House counsel. Accordingly, President Biden does not uphold the former president's assertion of privilege, Remus wrote in the letter. The letter comes after Trump filed a federal lawsuit against both the National Archives and the January 6th committee in hopes of blocking them from accessing records from his administration. They are reportedly requesting White House call logs, schedules, and other documents on January 6th. The White House earlier this month said it would not assert ex executive privilege to block the committee from accessing the first tranche of documents that was requested by the select committee, leading to Trump's new lawsuit against them. The White House uh, has said that they plan to consider the requests from the committee on a case-by-case -case basis. Well, now they've done so several times, and now they have uh, approved those requests and rejected Donald Trump's attempt to block them. Monday's letter does not detail the specific documents beyond identifying them as a, quote, subset of documents requested by the select committee. Counselor Remus wrote that the National Archives should turn over the pages of documents to the select committee within 30 days of notifying Trump, quote, absent any intervening court order. She reiterated the White House's view that Congress has a, quote, compelling need to understand the circumstances that led to the January 6th attack and, they, and that the constitutional protection of privilege, quote, should not be used to shield from Congress or the public information that reflects a clear and apparent effort to subvert the Constitution itself. That news comes on the heels of two other reports regarding Trump's various attempts to steal the 2020 election, both by legal-ish, constitutional-ish 
means and, as necessary, via the attempt to have his supporters storm the Capitol to prevent Congress from ratifying Joe Biden's Electoral College victory on January 6th, which a majority of senators, 57 of them in all, found Trump guilty of inciting during his second impeachment trial. So these two reports uh, came in over the weekend. One is Washington Post following up on a on on some news that was first reported by Bob Woodward and Robert Costa in their new book, Peril, describing the Trump war room of lawyers and operatives like Rudy Giuliani and Steve Bannon and others who huddled and plotted at the historic Willard Hotel near the White House over several weeks from December through January 6th as they contacted Republican legislators at the state level to convince them to convene and overturn Biden's victory somehow in swing states on evidence-free claims of massive fraud. And as the bunch of conspirators here plotted out a scheme to have Vice President Mike Pence declare the Electoral College vote to be corrupt on January 6th with U.S. congressional members ready to vote against Biden's victory and a number of them, according to a new Rolling Stone report over the weekend, working with organizers to plan the rally outside the White House on the ellipse that same day, leading, of course, to the march and eventual attack on the U.S. Capitol. In the wake of the Rolling Stone coverage, several Democratic House members have seized on that report to call for the expulsion of the pro-Trump hardliners in Congress who were allegedly involved in planning the rallies on January 6th that preceded the deadly attack. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York declared via Twitter on Sunday night, quote, any member of Congress who helped plot a terrorist attack on our nation's capital must be expelled, she wrote. Those responsible remain a danger to our democracy, our country, and human life in the vicinity of our capital and beyond. Fellow New York Democratic Congressman Richie Torres slammed the, quote, cabal of GOP lawmakers identified in the Rolling Stone piece who, quote, not only incited but also aided and abetted the insurrection. There is no place for insurrectionists in the U.S. Congress, Torres tweeted, expel any and all accomplices. Congressman Eric Swalwell of California and David Cicilline of Rhode Island echoed similar demands for removal with Cicilline tweeting, any member who had knowledge of or helped plan the January 6th attack on the Capitol needs to be immediately expelled from Congress. They cannot be trusted with the future of our democracy and country. The calls came after two unnamed organizers of the pro-Trump rallies on January 6th told Rolling Stone's Hunter Walker that they had had, quote, dozens of meetings with multiple members of Congress or their staffers to plan the events. Those GOP lawmakers named in the article include Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, Paul Gosar of Arizona, Lauren Boebert of Colorado, Mo Brooks of Alabama, Madison Cawthorn of North Carolina, and Andy Biggs, also of Arizona, as well as Louis Gohmert of Texas, according to the two organizers cited as Walker's sources in his Rolling Stone report. Now, in truth, well, I know many are quite excited about this Rolling Stone report. Much of what was reported there seems to have already been known to a certain extent, at least to me, even if more details were confirmed by the magazine's unnamed sources. But one aspect of that article in particular caught my eye. 
as Arizona's Congressman Gosar alleged uh, allegedly even went as far as to claim that there would be a, quote, blanket pardon issued by the White House for the organizers who also say that they have been speaking to the House January 6th Select Committee, specifically on this point from Rolling Stone's Sunday Night Exclusive. Quote, we would talk to Boebert's team, Cawthorn's, uh, Cawthorn's team, Gosar's team, like back to back to back, says the organizer. And Gosar, who has been one of the most prominent defenders of the January 6th rioters, allegedly took things a step further. Both sources say that he dangled the possibility of a, quote, blanket pardon in an unrelated ongoing investigation to encourage them to go ahead and plan the protests. Quote, our impression was that it was a done deal, said the organizer, that he'd spoken to the president about it in the Oval, in a meeting about pardons and that our names came up. They were working on submitting the paperwork and getting the members of the House Freedom Caucus to sign on as a show of support. The organizers claim that the pair uh, received, quote, several assurances about the blanket pardon. I was just going over the list of pardons, Gosar said, according to the organi organizer, and we just wanted to tell you guys how much we appreciate all the hard work that you've been doing. The rally planner described the pardon as being offered while, quote, encouraging the staging of protests against the election. The organizer said I would have done it either way with or without the pardon. But to use something like that and put that on the table when someone is so desperate, it's really not good business. They said, well, that portion of the article, if true, suggests at least to me that there is a very direct White House connection to the plotters, at least if pardons were promised, as there's only one person who can actually issue a presidential pardon. And that, of course, is the president placing the plotting for the rallies at both the White House and the Capitol building squarely on his desk or at least within the Oval Office, just in case they weren't already. And sort of encompassing all of these points, Bob Woodward and Robert Costa were on MSNBC's Morning Joe on Monday. As noted by retired attorney and Daily Coast blogger Keith Barber, discussing the war room efforts at the Willard Hotel, with Trump himself calling in regularly to the group. And Woodward Citing on Morning Joe, one former Republican head of the criminal division at the Department of Justice describing all of this as, quote, a lay down case for charges, presumably against both Trump and the others, a case for conspiring to defraud the United States. We uh, talked recently with a Republican, former Republican head of the criminal division in the Justice Department, who said there is a lay down case just in what we know. Uh, it, it's 18 U.S. Code Section 371. I'm sorry, this sounds technical, but it is a law that says it is a crime to defraud the government in any deceptive way. And that's exactly what they did here. That's exactly what they did here. Joining us now to unpack that a bit, including 18 U.S.C. Section 371, as he did last night at Daily Coast, is Keith Barber, a regular contributor on legal and constitutional matters at Daily Coast, where he is known as Keith D.B. He is a former U.S. Army captain, a longtime 
and now retired attorney and even a lifelong Republican, at least pre-Trump, according to his Daily Coast profile. Uh, Keith Barber, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you, Brad. I want to I want you to walk us through uh, 18 U.S.C. Uh, Section 371, as cited by Woodward's former DOJ source there. But when he describes a, a quote, lay down case, is is that lawyer speak or, or DOJ speak for an open and shut case, essentially? Um, I don't know that it's lawyer or speech, speak or anything like that. I think it comes from card games, actually. Uh, and it refers to when your hand is so strong mm. that you don't need to play anything. You can just put down your cards and everybody gotcha. know you want. Probably from bridge. Okay, gotcha. Now, you describe uh, 18 U.S.C., Section 371, as the statute that makes it an offense to conspire to defraud the United States. And in your article, you evaluate that claim by... First, noting that a conspiracy, at least in this sense, requires three things. One, a plan or agreement by two or more people. Two, to commit a crime. Three, at least one overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy. So, Keith, can you quickly sort of step us through those three things to explain how they may or may not apply here to either the plotters in the Willard Hotel or of more interest, I think, to all of us, I suspect, to Trump himself. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously a conspiracy requires uh, conspirators. <laughs> so you can't uh, enter into a conspiracy with yourself. Right. Uh, we have, I think, almost everybody in the Willard War Room uh, as potential co-conspirators in this. Mm-hmm. So that's, just, that's easy to satisfy. Uh, and the third element is of at least one act in furtherance of the conspiracy. If mm-hmm. you, no matter how elaborate plan you form to rob a bank, if you don't take at least one step in furtherance of that, then it's not a conspiracy. But it doesn't take much, and the act in furtherance does not have to be illegal. So if, for example, as part of the conspiracy, you say, okay, Keith, you're going to go case the bank, and mm-hmm. the next day Keith goes out and cases the bank. That's an act in furtherance of the conspiracy, and the conspiracy is completed. And that's whether, uh, that, and that's whether or not the actual uh, crime of robbing right. the bank is completed. That's correct. Okay. That is absolutely correct. That, that is true, whether or not uh, Keith and his co-conspirator eventually robs the bank or not. We have already committed a crime by conspiring to commit that crime and taking at least one overt act uh, towards that uh, crime. Yeah, uh, okay. that's absolutely correct. And when and then they kind of all hinged on that second element of a plan to commit a crime. Mm-hmm. So what is the crime we have here? and What is meant by the term in the statute to defraud the United States? And, that, and when I started researching that, mm-hmm. found some Supreme Court cases on point to it, I was really surprised how stunningly broad that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that it basically can refer to impairing, obstructing, or defeating you know, the lawful function of any department of government or, or depriving any department of government of its lawful right and duty required by law. Mm-hmm. And here we have counting the Electoral College votes, mm-hmm. very much required by law, required by the 12th Amendment of the United States Constitution, and separately by statute at 3 U.S.C. Section 15. Uh, you know, and, and so that has to be done by law. That is a duty of Congress by law, 
and arguably the efforts that were going on in that war room, even setting aside the violence question, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. efforts to, as you put it, through legalese and, and, and bogus constitutional means, uh, overturn the election, constituted an effort uh, through deception and dishonesty uh, to overturn the election. And that was, uh, and it's, it's cited quite directly, you note uh, that the DOJ actually maintains a website advising its own attorneys on uh, on these laws and, and, you know, how they can bring such cases, what, what case law they have to meet from the Supreme Court and so forth. And you're right. I mean, it seems pretty simple that they were obstructing a lawful function of the government if, you know, from anywhere from uh, 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 haranguing legislators to, you know, to to not accept the uh, uh, the Electoral College results to if they did, you know, sending people to attack the Capitol to prevent the ratification of the Electoral College vote. It does seem well, like a lay down case. It, it's very interesting that there are some members of the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers who are charged under this statute. Mm-hmm. are start charged under Section 371 with conspiracy. And the object of the conspiracy, according to the indictment, is to stop, delay, and hinder Congress's certification of the Electoral College vote. Well, that's exactly what they were attempting to do in the war room. They may have been using different means to do it, but their purpose was the same. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same. You could plug that language into an indictment against you know, Steve Bannon or potentially others, Giuliani uh, and others who were in that war room and were doing those things. John Eastman's name comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you know, and another requirement is obviously that the conspiracy to defraud has to involve deception or dishonesty or even, according to at least one Supreme case, quote, mm-hmm. overreaching. And, and certainly Eastman's memo does that. He admits it. Eastman uh, admits that his memo, he's been backpedaling from it since. He admits that, oh, nobody would have believed that. I was just presenting it as a hypothetical. Well, excuse me, Mr. Eastman, and I appreciate your confession, but <laughs> you actually used the memo along with the President of the United States to attempt to convince the Vice President to do exactly what the memo said he could do. And, you didn't treat it as a hypothetical. No, and I'm going to get to Eastman actually in a, in a second. But I I want to say you note in your in your piece of Daily Coast that conspiracies uh, against uh, that the federal statute and its applicable applicable case law here refer to uh, that the cases that already it refers to quote seem trivial in comparison to this particular conspiracy and the one that's cited at the doj website involved false reports on cotton production that interfered with the ability of the government to accurately report the same so someone went to jail for this crime for preventing the government from accurately reporting cotton yields uh, that's correct but the folks behind an attempt to steal a presidential election and to attack the U.S. Capitol to prevent Congress from carrying out their constitutional duty, uh, they have not yet faced such charges. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, I think we're all <laughs> hopeful that, that they do, uh, and it will be interesting. You know, looking over the language of that indictment I just cited, mm-hmm. I, wa- I do wonder if that was not done on purpose to kind of be laying the, the groundwork for stepping up the chain there, but we'll see. 
You also note that uh, John Eastman, getting back to him, he's, of course, the right-wing attorney. He composed the now infamous Eastman memo explaining how the vice president could essentially just ignore the Electoral College results, toss the whole matter to the U.S. House, let them decide the presidency. Well, Eastman is now claiming attorney-client privilege here, and, and that because of that, he cannot be compelled to testify about his conversations with Donald Trump, but even as an attorney yourself, Keith Barber, if if now a retired one, uh, y- you're not buying Eastman's uh, attorney-client um, privilege claims? Ab- absolutely not. An enormous exception to the attorney-client privilege is advice given in the furtherance of a crime or fraud. And the allegation here would be that this is exactly that, that Eastman and Trump were co-conspirators in in a, a fraudulent an attempt to defraud the United States of America by uh-huh. delaying or hindering the Electoral College vote, and uh, that is absolutely, in my opinion, not covered by the attorney-client privilege. You mm-hmm. cannot use that privilege to shield the attorney's own criminal activities and uh, with or his client, for that matter. You know, in terms of mm-hmm. them planning one. Yeah, and that comes into play in another case that I want to ask you about. But very quickly, Keith, uh, this this promise or this uh, floating, if you will, of, of blanket pardons for these two organizers, as discussed in the Rolling Stone piece, uh, you know, coming from uh, Arizona Congressman Paul Gosar. Am I overreading that to uh, that? I mean, that seems to me that if Gosar is promising blanket pardons, even though I think in this context it was for some earlier thing they were being investigated for, the only way that he could do that is if he's either lying about it and making it up out of whole cloth, or if that promise comes from the President of the United States himself, no? Yeah, you have to believe that Gozar did have some sort of discussions with Trump on whatever that is. It would be fascinating to know whatever those earlier investigations were. I, I honestly have no idea, and it kind of makes it difficult to judge exactly, you know, what was being done there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, would Gozar just flat out lie to these two that, you know, it's been arranged for them to get these pardons from the president? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think very much of Gozar. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and I suppose he could have. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, if he if he was, then, then that could certainly come back and bite him later, uh, and, and as it looks like it might be now. Well, but, it seems to uh, me that the know, that's, yeah, no, I'm sorry. These, you know the uh, the Rolling Stone article indicated that these two individuals have not only spoken to the January sixth committee, but that they would be willing to testify publicly. Mm-hmm. So it appears that we're not going to have to wait too long to find out who they are. Uh, and and perhaps be able to figure out from there what the nature of this investigation was and what kind of pardon was being dangled to them in this regard. Yeah, and if nothing else, that seems to put Donald Trump very directly uh, in the room where it happened, so to speak, uh, as far as uh, you know, conspiring with these folks. Now, I uh, I sent your article. Over at Daily Coast, I sent it over to our friend, uh, longtime constitutional attorney uh, and expert uh, John Boniface of freespeechforpeople.org. Uh, he replied this morning to say, yeah, I agree. This is a strong case. 
as is the case where Trump was individual one in the conspiracy to defraud the U.S., which led to his lawyer going to prison and many others, notes John. Now, he is, of course, referring there to the Stormy Daniels hush money payoff by Donald Trump, for which his attorney, Michael Cohen, went to prison, even as both Cohen and and, uh, federal prosecutors described Trump as individual one in that case, the one who actually directed the conspiracy itself. So that also seems to me anyway, like a so-called lay down case. But Trump has not been prosecuted there either, at least not yet. Any idea why that would be, Keith? Um, I, I would attribute it to simply the reticence of the Department of Justice to bring a case against the president of the United States uh, for something that a lot of American people would not view as all that serious uh you know it's kind of like clinton bj defense (laughs) except except that they sent his attorney to jail for it and whether it's serious or not they sent the attorney to to prison for it and they didn't send the guy who everyone agrees directed the conspiracy for which the attorney was jailed yeah the and 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 he's after arguably trump is arguably the worst actor Right, you know, a worse actor than Cohen yeah. in that in that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he lied to the American people about it, you know, and he lied uh, about the payments about it. He, he attempted to enforce against Stormy Daniels a, a non disclosure agreement to keep it from coming out. I mean, all sorts of, of, of bad acts there. But I mean, that's my best answer to the question. <laughs> is that they, it's kind of viewed as a sex scandal, much the way uh, the Clinton scandal was, and therefore uh, of, of not much interest. Now this, you know, obviously the events surrounding January 6th and an effort to overturn an election is a much different game mm-hmm. than that sort of thing. But even in that, and, even in that and, case... And hopefully will result in Department of Justice action. Hopefully. Uh, underscore hopefully uh but I, I just want to point out that even michael cohen in that case because we were talking about the attorney client privilege he was you know they were claiming oh michael cohen's our attorney he can't you know be asked anything about any of this well uh i think that attorney client privilege went away as you said when it was clear that cohen himself was participating in the criminal conspiracy uh, to to pay off this uh, hush money. And by the way, uh, the best excuse that I've uh, received for why there has not been charges brought against Trump in this case, and I'm curious what you think, is that, uh, you know, essentially this was a, a conspiracy to, to pay hush money, but the crime, I think, was not reporting it as a campaign expense, essentially. That's actually the crime. And that while Michael Cohen, as an attorney, has a responsibility to know what the law is there, Donald Trump, as a layman, even though he was president of the frickin' United States, that he may not have known that he was committing a crime there, or at least that that's what you know the argument would be that his defense would make if he was charged. Uh, do you accept that explanation for why the DOJ has not brought charges on that particular I, case? You know, that probably does have something to do with it. it, it Trump can try and claim, you know, I didn't know better. Uh, that this was all done by my attorney, and he told me it would be okay. Uh, mm. But, you know, it took the Trump campaign a long time afterwards to 
you know, report that. And, and, and that's just it. This, it was arranged directly, you know, indirectly to look like legal advice mm-hmm. from Cohen uh, that these payments were. Well, Trump knew it wasn't for legal advice. Trump knew it was for payments to Stormy Daniels. Mm-hmm. And so uh, as, a, as a defense for Trump, I don't accept that, no. Well, I'm hoping that he's not going to have such an easy time getting around these particular, uh, you know, similar circumstances. But as uh, Bob Woodward describes it, more of a lay down case uh, against the former president for committing conspiring to defraud the United States of America. Keith Barber, really appreciate your uh, uh, clarifying this and, and and what all of this means and where all of this may be going. I would recommend folks uh, check out your work at Daily Coast, where you write as Keith DB. You can also follow, uh, follow Keith on the Twitters. He is Keith DB80, Keith DB80. Uh, Keith Barber, really appreciate your time today, and I uh, hope you don't mind if we uh, shout out again in the near future. Oh, that'd be great. Thank you very much, Brad. Thank you, sir. Okay, let's take a quick break. And don't forget, trigger warning ahead. (laughs) We move to Desi Doyen and the latest Green News Report. That's straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. You know, Des, yes. in the, what is it, 12, more than 12 years now, we've been doing the Green News Report. Yeah. 1,179 episodes, but who is counting? <laughs> uh, we've had a lot of busy, uh, a lot of busy climate weeks, a lot of, a lot of stuff going on, whether it's extreme weather, whether it's legislation. Uh, but I got to tell you, this week <laughs> is about one of the craziest, most insane climate weeks I recall <laughs> in our I know it was yeah you will you'll hear about it and oh. and it's going to get uh, worse because we got the Glasgow climate UN climate summit coming up next week yep we do cop 27 cop 26 Six. conference of parties the 26th conference of parties and uh, it's and we be... still can't get it right <laughs> after 26 of them anyway wish us all luck and i wish you luck in our latest green news report severe weather hit the west coast sunday breaking some rainfall records the downpour caused flooding mudslides even shut down some highways historic storm slams drought-stricken western u.s as climate intensified extreme weather threatens 90 million americans increased risk of disease war and mass migration would create global chaos New reports warn climate change is a growing national security threat. Plus... You're going the wrong way! UN report finds greenhouse gas emissions hit new record highs in 2020. All of those wrong way stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and... Snarky comment. Saudi Arabia is set to launch an enormous oil-themed extreme park 
And to keep the Mideast oil theme authentic, the U.S. is going to invade it. <laughs> this is your Green News Report. Just be sure to wear your poncho when you ride the log flume. Okay, Desi Doyen, there are so many green news-related stories at this point, I have no idea how you're going to pick and choose what should fit <laughs> into six minutes. So I will shut up and let you do it. All righty. Good luck. More than 90 million people are under extreme weather watches and warnings across the entire country this week. And it's extreme weather whiplash in Northern California as the state careens from drought to fire to torrential rains and floods. A storm of historic record intensity has slammed the West Coast, helping fire crews extinguish several massive wildfires, but also triggering landslides in burn areas, shutting down a critical state highway. Sacramento went from its driest period on record to breaking its all-time high 24-hour rainfall record on Sunday. (laughs) Not whiplash at all. Such swings in extreme weather are projected to occur more frequently and intensely with man-made global warming. A flood of studies and reports are coming out in the run-up to the crucial United Nations Climate Conference in Glasgow starting November 1. A flood of stories. I see what you did there. First up, the United Nations reported on Monday that thanks to rapid growth in clean energy, nations are making progress on lowering their emissions. However, that progress is still not fast enough to meet their modest emissions pledges under the Paris Climate Agreement. The UN's World Meteorological Organization reports that greenhouse gas concentrations hit a new record high in 2020 and are headed that way as well in 2021, saying that the world is way off track in curbing rising temperatures. We suck. A third report cautions that natural carbon sinks like forests and the oceans that previously absorbed about half of humanity's emissions are now becoming less effective at doing so. We really suck. So the Amazon, which used to be a carbon sink, is now actually a source of carbon. Yes. Oh, we're so bad. And the U.S. government released a flurry of reports on climate risk. Any of them good? No. The Financial Stability Oversight Council, created in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis, declared man-made climate change to be a growing threat to the U.S. financial system. It lays out actions for federal agencies to prepare for risks to the U.S. economy and its banking system to prevent the climate crisis from causing the next financial crisis. However, the report stopped short of pushing regulators like the Federal Reserve to end investments in new fossil fuel projects. Yeah, why would they want to do that? Don't go so far as to hurt the economy. A suite of new studies from key federal agencies warns that climate change also poses a major risk to national security. First, the Defense Department assessed how climate change will alter U.S. defense interests around the world. Then Homeland Security issued a strategic framework on defending the country and individual communities from climate threats. A White House report focused on the links between climate change and migration, which is projected to increase dramatically as global warming affects crops and water supplies. Can't say we weren't warned. The director of national intelligence issued the first ever national intelligence estimate on climate change on the geopolitical implications of global warming. That report includes hair-raising scenarios like a desperate rogue nation unilaterally launching solar geoengineering 
engineering projects that could trigger unintended global side effects affecting extreme weather. I'm sure it'll be fine. Aaron Sikorsky, director of the Center for Climate and Security on CNN, warned... If we don't cut emissions in the second half of the century, the uh, climate impacts are catastrophic to security. It's not just the scientists, it's also the security experts saying it's a real problem. But finally, some good news. A major breakthrough on the eve of the U.N. climate conference. After years of contentious negotiations, industrialized nations on Monday agreed to provide at least $100 billion annually in climate aid to developing nations to help assist them with loss and damage from accelerating climate impacts. The world's poorest nations have the fewest resources and did not cause the climate crisis, but are suffering its impacts first and worst. $100 billion. A year. The U.S. Treasury Department brings in about $300 billion a day some days. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Brother, can you spare a dime? Yeah, no kidding. Once I built a tower. Can they, can, can the U.S. spare a dime? A now, to be clear, I said uh, about three hundred billion is brought into the U.S. Treasury on some days. It's rare days. It's basically on the tax day, uh, April fifteenth or whatever it is. But it shows it is possible. Well, and normally on a normal day, it's you know like anywhere from thirty to eighty billion. A day, and so we can only come up with a hundred billion. Well, to I'm give sure it's something that Jeff it? Bezos could find in the couch cushions. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, we really do suck. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay, uh, we got to get out. Uh, by the way, I hope our friends on the East Coast are tolerating. This uh, nor'easter that it, they're getting pummeled by right now. Just the whole country. The whole country. A mess for everyone. Yes, that's what it is. Now's a great time to look around your house and see ways that you can prepare for extreme weather. Are you trying to scare us even more than you already did in <laughs> no, the Green News report? I'm saying be prepared. Is that a bonus, uh, Frighten? Anyway, <laughs> all right. Thank you. You have done your work well. Uh, thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks again to my guest today, Attorney Keith Barber of Daily Coast, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other we have ever done, you can download them all for free at Bradblog. And hey, while you're there, please consider hitting one of those donate buttons or just going straight to bradblog.com slash donate. We could really use your support right now. Uh, If you sign up, a one-day donation is great. If you sign up for an automated monthly donation of any amount you like, it is greatly appreciated and very much needed. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. I will see you there. Till we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Say, don't you remember? I'm your pal. Buddy, can you spare? 